This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. Many of us donate to good causes through NGOs or charitable organizations and now even through crowdfunding websites. I also do. But whenever I do that, it is not without my doubts. Doubts like is my donation going to reach those who really need it or is it just paying the bills for the NGOs? Is the cause backed by a genuine institution or is it a fly-by-night operator set to make money playing on my sympathies? I'm sure you too have had these doubts at some point and more so in today's world when it is so easy to put up a post on social media, create a fake donation website or post chilling videos of needy victims, all of it to extract money by evoking emotion and empathy. But what if I tell you all this could change? A new platform is coming up that is allowing us to donate or rather invest in the social development of our country. Just like Reliance IPO in 1977 kick-started what was an equity cult in the country, we may now see a wave of social sector investments with NGOs getting listed on a social stock exchange. And before you dismiss this as a lofty ambition, this is not just on paper. The groundwork is already done. In fact, on October 7th, the Bombay Stock Exchange got in principle approval to set up a social stock exchange. But there are certain questions. Are the NGOs excited and ready to get listed? Will India's financial markets community participate in raising funds for social impact? What are the challenges involved? All this and much more is what we are exploring in today's episode of the Morning Brief. It is Thursday, October 20th. And I am your host Kiran Somanshi from the Economic Times and we talk about the social stock exchange a game changer in giving. In this episode I speak to Hemant Gupta who was part of the lead team at SEBI formed for designing the social stock exchange. Priya Nayak CEO of Samhita a social impact consulting firm who tells whether this is a feasible idea and chartered accountant Sanjeev Singhal answers questions on how social impact can be audited. India has a long way to go in funding its social sector. According to the India Philanthropy Report 2022 by Bain and Company, the total social sector spending is at 17.5 lakh crore rupees. But it is mostly due to the expenditure by the government. And we know that the government is operating under tight budgetary constraints. So it's high time that not just India's rich and famous, but the Aam Aadmi and Aurat also invest in giving and nation building and for this to happen the government rolled out an interesting initiative in the budget of 2019 i propose to initiate steps towards creating an electronic fundraising platform social stock exchange under the regulatory ambit of securities and exchange board of india the sebi for listing social enterprises and voluntary organizations working for the realization of a social welfare objective so that they can raise capital as equity debt or as units like a mutual fund but before things could move much on this front the covid pandemic hit India's social sector swung into action to provide help to migrants, covid patients and those whose livelihoods were lost or impacted. At around the same time, 
the NGO sector also witnessed the authorities clamping down on the foreign donations that they were getting. Meanwhile, capital market regulator SEBI started working on building the framework of the social stock exchange and to that effect created a working group to hammer out the broad structure of the exchange as well as a technical group to frame the detailed operational regulations that were released in July this year. Hemant Gupta provides an insider view of how it has all been planned. Thank you, Mr. Hemant Gupta. Welcome to the Morning Brief. Thank you, Kiran, and thank you for having me. You being a key member of the SEBI's working as well as technical groups, can you tell us what are the main distinct features of the proposed social stock exchange? Sure. Uh, So when we went about architecting the social stock exchange for India, we took a lot of learnings from the experiments that have been done across the world. So some of the key things that we implemented with the social stock exchange include the fact that there is a capacity building fund has been set up to train and make NGOs aware about the financial markets and the stock exchange. We have tried to adopt existing uh, structures as far as the social development sector is concerned. So we've not redefined any sectors. We've tried to leverage what is already there in Schedule 7 of Section 135, what is already there in the SDGs. We have uh, come up with instrument that replicates a donation or a grant called a zero coupon zero principle in bond, which essentially converts the donation or grant into a marketable security. And last but not the least, the social auditor concept so that investors who are putting their money into instruments on the social stock exchange get third party unbiased view of the impact that's getting created through their investments. As a development sector practitioner, Priya Nayak, CEO of Samhita, tells me three reasons why she is excited about the concept. Welcome, Priya. Welcome to the Morning Brief. Thanks, Kiran. Thank you for having me here. As an organization which works closely with government on one side, NGOs on the other, what kind of excitement have you seen regarding this concept? So there are three things that at least I am personally very excited about. The first is the fact that it is a very viable funding platform that will ensure that our social organizations, both for-profit as well as not-for-profit, can raise very significant amounts of private capital to really transform whether it's education or healthcare or environment or women's economic empowerment. The second thing that I'm really excited about is the fact that this is being done by India's finest, right? It's being championed by the finance minister. It's really being spearheaded by SEBI and BSC and the ICAI are involved. So some of our most credible, most experienced institutions Uh, are really involved in the co-creation and execution of this. The third reason for a lot of excitement, for decades now, we've had this ongoing debate to say, well, what is social impact? How do you really measure the work of somebody who's working on, uh, let's say, student scholarships versus somebody who's working on teacher training? Is there a way to compare between education and healthcare? Now, while the financial sector uses profitability, that becomes far more complicated when it comes to the development sector. So again, I guess the opportunity to try and create 
standardized frameworks to measure, to communicate, to evaluate the outstanding work being done by our NGOs and social enterprises and use a common framework, a common language. And Kiran, I would also say that given how advanced and engaged the entire Indian financial services ecosystem is, if we're able to tap into those minds, you know, how do you do research? How do you do data analysis? You know, every sort of market research analyst, if you actually ask them this question to say, look, how can you help? I can't imagine any of them saying no, right? But we need to reach out to them, right? And we need to say that it took you many, many decades to create a very vibrant financial stock exchange in this country. How can we leapfrog that entire process and build on your wisdom and your expertise today to ensure that the social stock exchange succeeds, not 10 years from now, not 100 years from now, but a year or two years from now? And I can't see anyone not being excited or you know, willing to engage um, with that opportunity. Concept does have the potential to be a game changer. But as they say, the devil lies in the details. And for details, I turn to chartered accountant Sanjeev Singhal. Hello, Mr. Sanjeev Singhal. Welcome to the Morning Brief. Thank you. As a chairman of SRSB, that is Sustainability Reporting Standards Board of the ICAI, that is Institute of Chartered Accountants of India, can you explain the process of how an NGO will practically raise funds through listing on a social stock exchange? Yeah. This excitement is real and all of us are quite excited about the NGOs being listed on the social stock exchange. It's going to be a historical moment. Now, as far as the process is concerned, we all know that social stock exchange will be a separate segment of a recognized stock exchange and will have nationwide trading terminals. Now, in order to list on the social stock exchange, and raise funds. First and foremost, that needs to be decided is whether the intent is social. So the intent, which is the, we call primacy of the intent, at least 67% of the income or the expenditure or the beneficiary should be with the social intent and they should come from the underprivileged or the underserved section of the society. A social enterprise, which is a not-for-profit enterprise, will be able to raise funds on social stock exchange through issuance of a zero coupon, zero principal bonds. So as the name suggests, coupon means interest. So zero coupon means there'll be no interest and zero principal means there'll be no repayment of the principal. So first is a issuance of the zero coupon, zero principal bond. And this could be to the institutional investors as well as the non-institutional investor like people like you and me. Or it could also be through the donations through the mutual fund schemes, which are again specified by SEBI from time to time or it could be any other means. So what I understand is NGO will issue the zero coupon bonds and they are raising funds, but they're essentially raising donations. Yes. Only thing is that these scripts will be separately marked and people may invest in them for a different reason that uh, the, the money will go for the social benefits. So now the process for public issuance of a zero coupon, zero principle by a not-for-profit will be that an NPO or an NGO will file the draft fundraising document with the social stock exchange where it intends to register along with the specified fee and it will be open for public for at least 21 days for their comments. And after that, the social stock exchange will provide its observation on the draft fundraising document. So in case of companies, we call it DRHP 
Here it will be the draft fundraising document. And the social stock exchange will get 30 days uh, from the filing of the draft fundraise document or receipt of any clarification for this purpose. And then the NGO or the NPO shall incorporate the observation of the social stock exchange in the draft fundraising document and then file the final fundraising document with the social stock exchange prior to opening the issue. The market participant, the regulatory participants uh, will remain the same. That's one aspect that I think works to the advantage of the social stock exchange, being housed as a segment in an existing stock exchange and therefore being able to leverage the prevailing infrastructure and the trading mechanism. As BSE already has approval to establish a social stock exchange, Mr. Gupta, how early can we see BSE coming up with the first social stock exchange in the country? We've received in principle approval from SEBI to launch the social stock exchange. There are certain other submissions we have to make before we receive the final approval, but we are not waiting for that. We are already talking to NGOs and investors about registering and listing on the social stock exchange and investing through the social stock exchange. So my anticipation is we'll definitely have some NGOs getting registered and hopefully some listings also happening. Wow, that's great. BSE had earlier floated uh, a platform called BSE Saman CSR. Now, how the new stock exchange will be kind of different from the earlier platform? Can you throw some light? Because you were earlier the MD CEO of BSC Saman. Yeah, so uh, two very different objectives. BSC Saman CSR Limited was a private limited company that was set up to help companies comply with the CSR uh, regulations. And so what we used to do was we were approached by companies looking to work in specific geographies and specific sectors. And we would help connect them with uh, the appropriate NGO in our network of 1,500 NGOs. The social stock exchange is a stock exchange. Our role as BSC is limited to be creating a platform, ensuring that the entities on the platform follow the rules of the game, and from an ongoing basis, monitoring and making sure that all the disclosures or the compliances are being adhered to. Right. So in a way, the BSE Saman uh, platform will help BSE to kind of leverage all that network and the association yeah. and engagement to yes. kind of float a better stock exchange, right? Three things actually, uh, Kiran, uh, a very good point. One is that the network effect, like you said, we now have a network of NGOs, we have connections into corporates. Second is stock exchanges traditionally do not have a deep knowledge of the social development sector. But because of our association through Saman, we do have knowledge of the social development sector. Right. And the third is that being uh, part of the ecosystem, I'm actually part of the work that's being done on the social audit space. I'm a part of the work that's being done on the disclosure space. So ha- also having greater influence on what's happening on the social stock exchange. Social audit is another new concept that the social stock exchange will introduce to the investing world. Since the Institute of Chartered Accountants of India is playing a role in this, I check with Mr. Singhal. So ICI is playing a leading role right from the formation of the technical guide for disclosures by the entities that will be listed on social stock exchange and also drafting the social audit standards for the social auditors and through the self-regulatory organization as well. The Council of the Institute of Chartered Accountant of India already formed an SRO which is known as Institute of Social Auditors of India. And the governing body of that has also been formed. So the social auditor will be an auditor who is registered with this 
Institute of Social Auditor of India. So when we have a financial auditor for companies, I'm understanding that we will have a social auditor for NPOs and NGOs, right? So there is a statutory auditor for NPO or NGO who is independent of that NPO or NGO. So this first process will continue as it is. Additional process will be that there is going to be a social auditor who will see that what were the objectives for which funds were raised, whether they have been met or not, and they will benchmark it against what was stated and also the social audit standard laid down by the Institute of Chartered Accountant of India. So that's going to be an additional process that there's going to be an impact assessment. So see, for example, if a NGO has raised funds and saying that we will improve the women literacy rate in a, in a particular district in India. So they will be measured against that what's been the social impact of that. First of all, whether it's been achieved or not and how it has benefited the society. So that assessment part will be done by a social auditor. So what I understand is that once an NPO or an NGO gets a certification from social auditor, that means investors can be sure that the NPO and NGO is doing its job right. Absolutely. And this is the whole idea. And this is going to be the differentiating factor between the present scenario and for the NGOs, which will be listed on the social stock exchange. So a donor or an investor will be assured of that the NGO is doing what it intended to do and it is working in the right direction. Besides the social audit, there are also reporting standards brought in place by the ICAI. So actually, these are social audit standards, which are formed by the Sustainability Reporting Standard Board of India, which is chaired by me and the vice chairperson is Preeti Savla from Mumbai. We have formulated 16 social audit standards. The social audit standards mirror the 16 themes envisaged in this notification of SEBI dated 25th July 2022. So these are going to be the key factor against which the NGOs will be assessed whether or not they have met the requirements. You'll be happy to know that India is going to be the first country in the world having such detailed social audit standards. We have looked at the global literature. Barring one or two, we couldn't find more than one standard addressing these. Now I am curious about how NGOs become eligible for listing and cope with the compliance burden. Political or religious organizations trade bodies and company foundations are anyway excluded by the SEBI regulations from getting listed on the social stock exchange. Mr. Gupta has the answers for me. Suppose if I'm running an NGO, is the compliance burden too high for me? So if you look at the criteria, Kiran, we are onboarding only enterprises above a certain size who can afford the additional compliance and governance requirements that any enterprise wanting to list on a stock exchange has to comply with for the simple reason that the third-party investors require the transparency to know what is happening with their money. In your observation, do you see this criteria, especially the minimum benchmarks that you have for expenditure, so minimum expenditure of 50 lakhs, uh, how many NGOs would kind of fall in that bracket? So let me draw a parallel with the corporate ecosystem. So there are about 25 to 30 lakh companies in this country. Uh, there are about 7,500 of them who are listed on the stock exchange. Right. It's not that the other companies don't get access to funding, but there is a cost, a compliance cost associated with coming on board a, a stock exchange. And that's true for across the world. 
Similarly, even in the uh, not-for-profit space, there are additional requirements such as the social audit piece, the additional disclosures that an enterprise has to undertake if they want to come on the SSC. And we want to make sure that the enterprise that's coming onto the SSC has the resources to be able to comply with these requirements. Right. It, will, it will not be fair to a smaller-sized NGO to come on the social stock exchange and realize that they are unnecessarily expending resources that could have been utilized much better in doing other things, you know. So you asked me earlier how many. I actually don't know how many, because. but, but if you assume there are about 20 lakh NGOs in this country, my estimate would be that at least 15 to 20% of them would qualify. Since you are already engaging with, you know, NGO on one side, SEBI on the other, talking to investors as part of the exchange, how do you see the excitement and the response and the enthusiasm between all these uh, different stakeholders? Oh, that's a tough one, Kiran. On the NGO side, as well as social impact investors and philanthropists, there is tremendous excitement. One, because they feel this be a great enabler for the social development ecosystem in the country. And also because a lot of people rightfully feel that we are doing something that will be setting a trend in the world, not just in the country. However, there are also certain parts of the ecosystem that want to tread with more caution, that have heard of some of the failed experiments in other countries with regard to the social stock exchange, and therefore are want to take a more gradual and phased approach. And I think by the end of the financial year, we'll definitely have multiple NGOs and hopefully for-profit enterprises listed on the social stock exchange and multiple listings happening of ZCZP and social development bonds. There have been changes made to the FCRA Act, making it difficult for the NGOs to seek foreign donations and they have to now rely on domestic sources. The question now is, will the social stock exchange facilitate the listed NGOs to access foreign capital? Here's what Mr. Gupta had to say. So this SSE journey, Kiran, will be a gradual one. So in the initial phases, foreign funds are not allowed. But my anticipation is that uh, sooner or later, we will allow the foreign investors to also come onto the platform. Because part of the reasons behind the changes to the FCRA Act have been to ensure that there's greater accountability of what is happening with the funds coming in, right? And it's through the social audit mechanism and through the additional disclosures that are required on the social stock exchange, if you can create an environment, then I think the SEC can actually be the perfect platform to have an easier implementation of the uh, FCRA disclosures. Priya also had similar view on this issue. So ultimately, the answer lies with the regulators, right? But Kiran, um, when the FCRA regulation was being imposed, you're right, on NGOs, we spoke to some very senior officials within the government. And what we heard was a basic request for transparency. So they said that as long as we are able to correlate the source of the money and, you know, ensure that it's legitimate. And as long as we know that the money is being invested in or it's supporting credible, relevant, you know, viable causes on the ground, you know, that's something that the Indian government is absolutely willing to support and champion. The concern really was the fact that today are not necessarily able to say, hey, here is a rupee that I raised from Kiran and this is how that rupee got used to educate Vinay or Asha or somebody else. We're not able to show the flow and the use on both sides. 
I think the stock exchange will go a really long way in ensuring that there's transparency in terms of where the money is coming from, how it's being utilized, and ultimately the impact that it's creating. And if we're able to get that system right, I think that at least the regulators should not have a reason to clamp down on the much needed you know, foreign capital that the sector today needs. And it's not just money, right? I think foreign donors come with global experience, which is valuable. There is no reason for us to start from scratch. Talking about foreign, India is not the first country in the world experimenting with the idea of creating a social stock exchange. There have been seven countries where this idea has already been attempted and the success has been mixed. The idea did not succeed in Brazil, Portugal, South Africa and the UK. But social stock exchanges continue to operate in Singapore, Canada and Jamaica. I asked Priya, why do you think India will be an exception to this? And what will kind of work in its favor? Is it the timing? Is it the people involved? Or what is it that you think that we will be able to get right? The stock exchanges failed for a variety of reasons. First, because there wasn't enough thought about how the social stock exchange itself makes money and becomes self-sustaining. So there has to be a business model for the social stock exchange. The second is they didn't really do a great job either in terms of the demand or the supply. They did not really manage to get institutions and donors and individuals really excited about using the stock exchange as the default or the primary platform to really invest in high-quality, impactful, regulated social organizations. The question now is really, can we get three things right? So really, the first step in this direction is to ensure that we bring our best minds from the government, from the regulator, social sector, financial experts, media companies, and anyone and everyone who we can tap into to say, how do we make this into a movement? Just like India has a very vibrant financial ecosystem, how do we use our learnings to create a very vibrant social sector investing ecosystem, right? Point two, which is related, is how do we change our regulation today? When you and I give to NGOs, the tax incentives are not attractive, right? We get a 50% deduction, there's a 10% cap. Um, doesn't make it exciting at all for the average individual to contribute. Doesn't make it exciting for CSR to contribute, right? So how do we change our regulations in a way that we want to give? I mean, you know, we as a country are generous. And therefore, if presented with the right incentives and the right mechanisms, I think India truly has a large potential to unlock resources. Third, that compliance burdens on us as donors or investors have to be kept to the bare minimum. While we have some of our best sort of financial experts and institutions getting involved, what about the social sector? So when we create mechanisms for them to report or for them to get audited or for them to communicate their social impact in ways that traditional stock exchange expects them to function, are their voices being heard? Do they have the capabilities? Are we making that investment, right? You know, ultimately, this is about, you know, the people who work on the ground, right, who are already overburdened and under-resourced. So both demand and supply has to be prioritized as we put this all together. And then the third is that, look, thinking about social impact is complex. Uh, it's not easy to compare a healthcare institution versus an education institution. So do you think as they are contemplating, as the rules are being drawn, regulations are being drawn, do you think these points are being kept in mind? 
I think yes. I think uh, there is a lot of consultation that has happened, but there is a difference between seeking inputs versus designing based on continuous inputs. I mean, you know, we know this, Kiran, that the regulatory environment is changing, right? But day by day, our social causes are changing. I mean, we didn't focus as much on healthcare until COVID came along and suddenly everything else was deprioritized because healthcare became more important. You know, our relationships with global foundations and funders is changing by the day. And so the way we set up the social stock exchange has to be designed in a way that we're continuously seeking these inputs. I mean, you know, if you think about what the Indian financial services ecosystem has done with Aadhaar and India Stack, I mean, you know, we are uh, we're heaps ahead of, you know, most other countries in the world, right? So this really gives us a tremendous opportunity to learn from the success of other similar initiatives as long as we keep the voices of our people at the center of how we design, execute, communicate this. Absolutely. One good news Mr. Gupta tells me is that the same DMAT and broking accounts that we have for equity trading can also be used for investing in the NGOs. As per Mr. Singhal, the current tax saving norms will also be applicable to your NGO investment portfolio but definitely providing a more attractive tax incentive will go a long way in attracting investors to the new platform. The concept of giving or supporting a social cause is not new in India. It has been an integral part of Indian culture. Over the years, the country has been home to a vibrant ecosystem of NGOs, social enterprises, charitable trusts, and more recently, corporate foundations. In fact, there are around 1,80,000 NGOs holding tax-exempted status from the Income Tax Department. India has been the first country in the world to make it mandatory for companies to spend 2% of their profits on CSR. Now, having done all this, the Social Stock Exchange will further evolve this ecosystem by bringing the aspects of transparency, governance and scale to our donations and philanthropy. Of course, there will be issues and teething troubles. But in a country like India with a large equity culture, I guess it won't be difficult to get people to shift their unorganized donations to a more structured and systematic form. In fact, the way we have SIPs, that is Systematic Investment Plan, we can also have SDPs, that is Systematic Donation Plan, to ensure that charity indeed begins at home. With that hope and promise, wish you all a very happy festive season and happy giving. This is your host Kiran Somanchi from the Economic Times and you have been listening to The Social Stock Exchange, a game changer in giving, only on the Morning Brief. A big thank you to our guests Priya Nayak, Hemant Gupta and Sanjeev Singhal for their amazing insights. And thank you for tuning into this podcast brought to you by the Team Economic Times. Show producer Vinay Joshi, sound editor Rajesh Nayak, executive producers Anupriya Bahadur and Arijit Barwan. We hope you like this episode. Do share it on your social media networks. The Morning Brief drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. The Morning Brief is now streaming on Amazon Prime Music and Jio7 apart from Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. And of course, ET's own audio platform ET Play. Do tune in to ET Play, our latest platform for all audio content. Have a great week ahead. All clips used in this episode belong to the respective owners. Credits mentioned in the description.